Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, y'all grab your Bibles with me if you don't mind. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Give me one second. First Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Father, would you add your anointing and your understanding, your illumination, Lord, and your comfort to the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word today. Lord, I pray that we'd, we'd learn what we need to learn, that we'd hear, <clears throat> that we'd hear what you want us to hear today. And God, that we would respond by being doers of your word and not just hearers. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Amen. Well, part of the call of a pastor is to feed the sheep, to rightly divide the word of truth, and, and, and to preach the whole counsel of God. In other words, you can't just preach your favorite stuff and leave everything else out. If you love the sheep, you have to provide a balanced diet. So uh, if, I'm, if I'm being honest today, this message is really an effort to balance our collective spiritual diets today, all right? Someone close to me a few uh, weeks ago uh, and someone intricately woven into the fabric of this church asked me a question that brought to mind the lack of attention that I've given to this really important topic. Uh, I, and, and so I thought about I thought it had maybe been a couple of years since I'd preached a message about it, but when I went back and checked, it had, in fact, been six years so um, I've mentioned it in other messages, but clearly not enough to, uh, to clearly communicate the importance of this message. So uh, today's message is called The Rapture Doctrine. The Rapture Doctrine. All right, so the passage we just read in 1 Thessalonians is kind of the, def- the definitive rapture passage. Uh, it's, it's detail and the amount of uh, emphasis that Paul provides is proof 
that it's significant. It should not be ignored. This is important. All right. So it's also, he also said this is a direct revelation of Jesus. Uh, so to, from Jesus to the Apostle Paul. So it, it's that special insight that also adds to its significance. So, so we, should not, uh, we should not ignore this. Now, before we get into the passage, I want to tell you, those of you who study on your own, and I hope all of you do at some level, um, you can't just go to your Bible app and search rapture because the word rapture does not appear in the scripture. It, we get the word from, <clears throat> from Latin, the Latin term that means to carry or to snatch away, to carry away or snatch away. That's the meaning of the word that's in verse 17 that's translated in this translation, caught up. We'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So the rapture is this sudden catching away from the earth, all of those who belong to Jesus. So thank you very much. You watch me die a slow and painful death here in front of God and everybody. <clears throat> you can be perfectly fine to start to preach. Everything shuts down. Thank you very much. So um, this is not just a, a, a Pentecostal doctrine. All right. This is uh, the rapture is a teaching uh, that's common to most, if not all, the evangelical churches. I certainly heard about it uh, in the Baptist church that I grew up. I heard a lot about it in the Baptist church I grew up in. I imagine if you grew up uh, in pretty much any of the churches around here, you would have heard the same thing. So I want to dig into this passage and let's learn some more about the rapture doctrine. Now, I'm going to just share with you the sort of the big picture of what the, of what the rapture is, is about. And then at the end, we're going to talk about three, three reasons why or three things that we can learn from it that should affect our lives. Okay, So here's the first thing. Jesus will come back. This, this is about the rapture doctrine. Jesus will come back to the earth's atmosphere, <clears throat> but not to the earth. To the earth's atmosphere and not to the earth. It, it, it says the saints will meet him in the air and be with him forever. At the rapture, those who are followers of Jesus, both, both those who've already passed and those who are still alive at that time, will be caught up, snatched away to meet him in the air. And we make that distinction because this is distinct from the second coming of Christ. At the second coming, which will be at least seven years after the rapture, Jesus will return and all the saints will already be with him. That's when, all, that's when he will rescue Israel. That's when he'll win the battle of Armageddon. That's when he'll set up his thousand-year millennial reign on the earth. Let me show you this in Scripture, okay? Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. After saying, so this is after Jesus was on the, was on the Mount of Olives. He was saying his final words to the, uh, to the apostles. And uh, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. This is his ascension, and they could no longer see him. Verse 10. There is a verse 10. Yes. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. These are angels. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now remember, these are second coming, not rapture passages, but second coming. They said, he's standing here on the Mount of Olives. You just saw him leave. One day he's going to come back exactly the way you saw him leave. Look at Revelation 19. 
Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except for himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Who do you know who's called the Word of God? Jesus himself. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This is a second coming of Christ picture from Revelation. Now, the last passage I want to read you is Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 4. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. We just saw that description in Revelation. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running east to west. Half the mountain will move to the north. Half will move to the south. That, I wanted to show you that he will come back exactly as he left. He left from the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. He left us with God's grace. He will return to pour out God's judgment. He left us as the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. He will return as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. On that day, he, we will have already been to the judgment seat as believers. We will have already stood at the judgment seat of Christ. We will have already received our crowns and our rewards. We will have already feasted at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then we will accompany the rider of the white horse to, be, to begin to bring order to the chaos of this world and to see justice served for all the millennia of injustices that we've endured on this earth. All of that is at the second coming of Jesus. Now, what Paul described in 1 Corinthians, that we, the 1 Thessalonians that we just read, is very different, <clears throat> but it's no less important. On the day of the rapture, Jesus doesn't return to the earth. He comes to call us from the earth to meet him in the air. Now, why is that important? Because that's how we get access to all the things I just described in the second coming. We meet him in the air so that we can receive our reward, so we can be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, so we can ride with him back to this earth to set up his kingdom. The takeaway is, in bringing all of that to your attention, is you definitely want to be a part of the rapture when it happens. All right? Now, what else is part of the rapture doctrine? You're like, okay, so he's going to call and he's going to come and call us. How does he call? How are we going to know it's, it's time? How, how, I don't want to miss it, so how are we going to know? So here's the second thing. Jesus will call us up. Jesus will call us up. It, it appears there are three different calls that's described there in that passage, all of which happen in, within a blink of an eye. It says there will be the voice of the archangel, it says the trumpet call of God will sound. And it also says that Jesus will come with a commanding shout. I believe that Jesus will, uh, will shout himself with his own voice. The commanding shout that he comes with will be his own shout. And I want to show you why I believe this is, uh, this is the case. First is in Revela Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. 
Revelation 4, verse 1. Uh, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. The same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I'll show you what must happen after this. This is one of the texts that teach us and lead us to a pre-tribulation rapture, a rapture that takes place before the seven-year tribulation period. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are letters to the church. You remember the seven letters to the, to the pastors of the churches in Asia. They represent the church age, which we are currently in. Revelation 4, starting in verse 2, talks about all the things that will happen in the tribulation, the second coming, the new heaven, new earth, and eternity future. Revelation 4 in verse 1 is the pivot point. And what does it say? It says in red letters, indicating that it's Jesus speaking, he's going to say, he's going to say, come up and I'll show you what's going to happen after this. All right? And and it, it says that it sounds like what? It sounds like a trumpet sound. So I believe that this points to the fact that Jesus himself, as sharp and as clear as a trumpet, and maybe even accompanied by a trumpet, will come to the air uh, over this earth and will call us to himself. He'll say, come up, and we'll, and off we'll go. Oh, is everybody okay? All right. The second reason that I think this is going to be Jesus' voice himself is this. How are Christians, how, how is it that Christians are going to hear Jesus call? But the rest of the world won't, right? How are, they going, how are we going to hear his voice and the world won't? Well, John 10 and 27, I think, explains this. John 10 and 27. <clears throat> my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to, another translation says, my, my sheep know my voice. They listen to me and they follow me. When our Lord and Savior, when our master and our shepherd comes back within earshot of this earth and says, come up, then we who are his sheep will hear that voice, will recognize that voice, and we will immediately obey that voice because it's our shepherd. When he says, come up, then we're heading up. That, that may be my favorite part of the rapture doctrine. But, but listen, that will show you the clear dividing line between those who know about Jesus and those who actually know Jesus. You have to know him to recognize his voice. You can read about somebody all you want to, but unless you know them, you don't know their voice. So be sure that in all of your knowing and in all of your learning and in all of your pursuing that you are not just pursuing the words on a page, you're pursuing the person of Jesus Christ so that you know him personally. Now, what else is there about the rapture? Jesus will rapture us in two stages. There'll be two stages. If you remember, verse 13 that we started with sets up the whole conversation and it gives us the context of the, pa- of the passage. First, the Thessalonians were concerned about those who were believers in Christ but had already died. They didn't want their departed brothers and sisters to miss anything. Paul reassured them that with what the Lord showed him. He, he said those who are still alive uh, will not precede those, who won't go before those who have already passed away. He says there'll be two stages. The dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are still living at the moment of the rapture will join them in the air. 
I don't know how much time is going to elapse uh, between the dead in Christ rising and those who are alive and remaining uh, going to meet him. It all seems to happen in a twinkling of an eye, but there is a definite order to how this is going to work. There will be two clear stages, and those who are dead will rise first. Now, here's some more of the, of the rapture doctrine. Jesus will give us a body like his. Jesus will give us a body like his. The rapture is about bringing us into uh, his eternal presence. And for that, we're going to need a new eternal body. So I want to show you what it says about that body that we're going to have. First John chapter 3. Dear friends, we're already God's children, but he's not shown us what we're going to be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he really is is. When Jesus appears, not not returns, but appears, then he's going to change our bodies into the same kind of eternal body that he has. Here's another familiar passage uh, about the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 53. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed or changed. It'll happen in a moment In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Because our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. We use this at funerals all the time. But this is not just, it's not a funeral scripture. It's a rapture scripture. We won't all die physically, but we will all be changed from a corruptible mortal body into an incorruptible, immortal, indestructible, eternal body. You're like, well, John, what's it going to look like? Like, am I going to be buff? Am I going to have abs? We all got abs, honey. They're just under layers, different layers. They're all there. Um, What's what's the body going to look like? I have no idea. And who cares? If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? So we ain't got to worry about it. You ain't going to get, nobody going to get a brand name body and somebody else get a generic body. It's going to be okay. Whatever body we get, we know it's going to be what we need to live forever in the presence of the Lord. Y'all bougie wanting to to, um, be all cut up and stuff. What in the world? I'm going to have wavy locks of golden hair. <sighs> All kind of craziness. All right, a couple more things about the uh, rapture doctrine. Jesus will rapture us before the tribulation. Jesus will rapture us before the tribulation. Tribulation period is a seven-year period of time in which the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet are all revealed. It will be an absolutely horrifying time um, in the history of the, of the world, nothing have, will have ever happened like it, and nothing will happen after that. As a matter of fact, the, the word says that unless the Lord cut it short, it would have killed every, just wiped everybody out. All right? It will be a horrifying time. Millions of people around the world will be killed as the wrath of God begins to be poured out 
on the earth. And even before that happens, many millions of, of Christians will be immediately raptured from the earth all at one time, many of whom are, are driving cars, driving buses, who are, who are operating uh, equipment, who are doing things that really needed somebody uh, to be present and, and aware of what's going on. So there'll be many, many, many people killed in accidents. There'll be, you know, all the children will be, will be missing. There'll just be pandemonium on this earth. You may have heard about, even if you're not uh, into reading prophecy, you, I'm sure you've heard just in popular culture about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's a real thing. It's in the book of Revelation. The, the vials, the trumpets, the bowls of the wrath of God being poured out, all of that happens during that seven-year tribulation period. I've already shown you one scripture that points to the fact that the rapture will take place before the tribulation begins. Here's another key scripture. It's also in 1 Thessalonians, this time in, verse, in chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. This shows us again that it's not just, it's not just a rapture, but a pre, pre-tribulation rapture. It, he didn't appoint us to wrath. He chose not to pour his anger out on us. It says Christ died for us. He took the punishment for our sins upon himself so that when he returns, we can live forever with him. I want you to notice that he's talking about two different uh, periods of time all at the same time, right? So he's talking about what Jesus already did for us, but he's also talking about it in context of when he returns, so I want to point something. I want to point something out here. This doesn't just uh, reveal the timing of Jesus in the sense that he's coming before the tribulation. It, it also reveals the heart of Jesus. Now I want you to think about this. In a manner of speaking, the rapture is a physical manifestation of what Jesus already did for us on the cross. It's a physical manifestation of what He already did for us spiritually on the cross. Now here's what I mean. He saved us from the wrath of God that we deserved because of our sin. Isn't that what he accomplished on the cross? This is yes. Y'all with me? All right. He, He already did that. The wrath that will begin to be poured out during the tribulation is just and right and fair. It, he, because he's a just, he's been a gracious God. He's been a, he, he's been a, a patient God, but at some point justice has to be served and it's going to be right. It's going to be fair, but that's not what he wants for us. He sent Jesus to die for us so that we wouldn't have to experience the justice of God. Isn't that right? So, so Remember the, tribula- the triumphal entry? Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives and he, and he begins to cry and he says, how I've longed to gather you under my wings like a, like a mother hen does for chicks. How, how I've longed to just pull you in and protect you from all the bad things that's about to happen in Jerusalem. He, he feels the exact same way about us now. He wants to, he wants to, to save us and to protect us. And that's why he's coming back to get us, to rescue us from the wrath that is to come. Why? Because we're his chosen people. We're, we're, he loves us. He wants us to be where he is. 
He went to prepare a place for us. Isn't that what John chapter 14 says? He went to prepare a place for us. And the rapture is him coming back and taking us there to where he's prepared. Yes, he wants us to escape the wrath to come. But it's also the heart of Jesus to welcome us home at the first possible moment in the grand scheme of God's redemption for the earth. And and just as much as we want to escape the judgment, we should also eagerly anticipate the chance to see our Jesus face to face and begin eternity in his physical presence. No longer will we have to see through the glass darkly. Then we can see him face to face. The, the fact that the rapture is, it happens before the tribulation reveals the heart of Jesus towards us. And it should make us love him all that much more. Now here's the last lesson from the rapture doctrine. Jesus could come back today. It could be today. In all of the passages that discuss the rapture, one thing is clear. The early church expected the rapture at any moment. You you even see it in in 1 Thessalonians 4 when Paul says, and we who are alive and remain. Paul expected the rapture at any moment. That's why the Thessalonians were so concerned about those who had died. They were afraid that they were going to miss it because they had died a few weeks or a few days or a few months before the rapture took place. That tells us that there is, there is no reason why the rapture could not take place at any moment. Nothing else has to happen prophetically for the rapture to occur. So that's all those things. You put all those things together. That's the rapture doctrine. The rapture will happen. It will happen in a moment. It will happen in a particular order. It will happen before the tribulation period. We will know about it because we will hear the voice of our shepherd calling us, and it could happen today. Now, what do we do about that? What do we do about it? What difference does it make? Should should it have an effect on our lives? And the answer to that, scripturally, biblically, is a clear and absolute yes, it should. Yes, it should. The understanding that Jesus is coming back to receive his followers to himself should definitely affect the way we live, the way we think, and how we make decisions, just like it did for the Thessalonians. Now, here's three quick things that the rapture doctrine should cause us to do. Here's the first thing. It should cause us to lift each other up. The rapture doctrine, our understanding of what the rapture is, should cause us to lift each other up. Up. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 18, I want to read that again. And I want to read the verse after the one in chapter 5 that we read. Paul said, encourage each other with these words about the rapture. Encourage each other. And then in, in chapter 5 and verse 11, he says again, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Two different times when the Bible describes the rapture, it also says to use that understanding to lift up each other, to encourage each other, to remind each other, to be excited about it, to draw hope from it. I know it sounds scary and it just sounds weird because obviously nobody's ever experienced it. We've never seen it. We don't really understand everything about it, but it isn't designed to freak us out. it's, It's designed... To encourage us. It's designed to give us hope. 
Uh, all the suffering that we endure in this life, all the sacrifices that we've made, all the persecution of all the saints all over the world through all the ages of time will be worth it in that one moment in time. We're going to hear the trumpet, we'll hear the shout, we'll hear the voice of our shepherd, and all of this earthly stuff that we've struggled through will melt into perfect peace in the presence of our Savior. What should we do with the knowledge of the rapture? We should lift each other up and encourage each other with it. Two other passages uh, lay out two, the other two things that we should do. Two passages, Titus chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 3. First Thessalonians is not the only place it talks about the rapture. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave, us, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many, pay attention to this, there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And he will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And the next verse is chapter 4 and verse 1, and it continues that conversation. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you for you are the joy and the crown I receive from my work. So the first, the, the first thing from those two passages, the first thing we should do uh, as, as a result of, um, of the rapture doctrine is to lift each other up. Here's the second thing from this passage. Look for his appearing. We need to look for his appearing. We are to live with an expectancy that he's coming back. Philippians says eagerly waiting for him to return, looking for the Lord to return at any moment. Titus says to look forward with hope to the wonderful day when he returns. The King James of this passage in that verse in Titus calls the rapture our blessed hope. It is our blessed hope. For the believer, the rapture is a source of comfort and encouragement. So we should look for it every day. So if you're feeling tired or down or discouraged, remember that this may be the last day that you have to carry these burdens. This may be the last day with all of the worldly stresses. He may come and get us and take us home. And what a wonderful blessing that would be. 
But he's clearly directing us to watch for him, to look for his appearing. Why? Well, that's what's also discussed in these two passages, because not only should we lift each other up and look for his appearing, but we should also live like we know Jesus. We need to live like we know Jesus. I don't know how you could be looking for the rapture and be encouraged by it and not have it affect the way you live. I don't know how to say this any clearer, but Jesus is coming back to take his church home. So I have to ask you this question. Are you saved? Are you sure you're in the big C church? Like, I preached a message a couple, of, a couple of months ago called, Are You In? And, I, and if you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But Jesus is coming back for his own. Are you one of his own? I didn't ask if you come to church. I didn't ask if you're sitting in the pews or in the chairs on Sundays or if you're watching online. I'm asking, are, do you belong to Jesus? Listen to how Paul describes to Titus uh, how our lives should be. He says, we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this, sin, in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. It says Jesus died to set us free from sin, to cleanse us and to make us his own. And and because of that, we should be totally committed to doing good deeds, to living righteously. So the obvious question to, to follow that up with is, are you totally committed to living righteously? If you did the drone flyover of your life, and you looked at the big picture of your life, the trajectory of your life, would it be characterized by wisdom and, and righteousness and devotion to God? I'm not saying perfection, so don't get all defensive. I just mean, is it clear by the way you live that you know Jesus and you're committed to living in a way that pleases Him? Are you pointing in His direction? You say, but John, I, 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 don't, I don't like that kind of conversation. I don't like that kind of talk because we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. And you're absolutely correct. But the same passage that teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, also says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's within three verses. It's the same three verses in Ephesians chapter 2. We aren't saved by works, but we are saved to work. Amen. There has to be a visible difference in the way you live your life once you get saved. Old things pass away. All things become new. You're brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. You're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. How can your life look the same? The things you do don't save you. But they should indicate that you are saved. You understand the difference? Let me, let me explain it this way. You could move into my house. Help, don't. You could move into my house, help me pay my bills, help me raise my kids, spend all your leisure time with me and only me. And it would not mean we're married. Right? It would also mean that we're weird. But if we did get married, wouldn't you expect 
to do all those things that we just talked about. The actions don't create the relationship. The relationship creates the actions. I'm sorry if somebody told you that all you have to do is pray the prayer, shake the hand, sign the card, and then, and then it doesn't matter what you do after that, you're golden. That version of salvation is just not in this book. When you surrender to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you belong to him. And you're expected to grow and to change and become like him. That's why he said, don't follow me unless you count the cost. What you do matters. It matters for your testimony. It matters for for your relationship with God. It matters for the rapture. It says in that passage in Philippians that, that there are many who say they know and love Jesus, but whose conduct shows they're enemies of the cross. Their conduct, not their confession, not their church attendance habits, not their t-shirts and bumper stickers and gold crosses. They may still say the right things. They may still go to church on Sundays, but their Monday through Saturday behavior betrays their true loyalty, which is to themselves and their pleasures and their own desires. Do you think an enemy of the cross is going to be raptured out? Do you think an enemy of the cross will hear the voice of the shepherd? Do you think an enemy of the cross and a friend of Jesus, can, you can be an enemy of the cross and a friend of Jesus all at the same time? Amen. Jesus can't gather you under his wings if you're an enemy of the cross. So I just, I want you to understand this. It's, it's important. It can't be, we can't ignore it. The rapture is real. Jesus is coming back. It's a doctrine of the church that's found clearly in the Scripture. And for the child of God, it should cause us to lift each other up and look forward to that day. But it should have an effect on how we live. Are you in right relationship with Jesus today? Do you know Him? Do you know His voice? You have today. You have this moment. Some things are just more important than other things. And right here, right now, there's nothing more important than this decision. Take the time right now as the Holy Spirit draws you and convicts you. Take the time to make sure of your relationship with Jesus. Paul said over and over again, check yourself and make sure you're in the faith. Paul said, it's one, as I started in ministry 30 years ago, it's one of those that just continue to, to haunt me or to draw me or just, it, it, it hangs around, lingers in my mind where, where Paul said, I check myself regularly to make sure after all these times, all of these people that I've led to relationship with Christ, then I don't take care of my own self and I become a shipwreck. Check your spiritual condition. Make sure that, you're, that you don't spiritually shipwreck yourself. That you don't depend on your relationship, or excuse me, depend on your knowledge to the exclusion of your relationship. 
check in. Do a spiritual check in today. Ask the Lord to show you where your relationship is so that you don't miss what Jesus died to give you so that you don't miss what he's been preparing for you all this time. He loves you. He wants you with him for eternity. What else is worth that? Jesus said, what what would a man give in exchange for his soul? So I want you to stand with me today. Lord, I pray that you would just, through your spirit, that you would lead us and guide us to the truth. I know this is, this is different than uh, most churches preach anymore. and I don't, We don't talk about the rapture anymore. And, and Lord, I repent. I'm sorry as pastor of this church that I don't talk about it more because it's important. As you coming back to get us. And, and, and it, it should affect everything that we do. So Lord, I'm sorry. But I pray today, Lord, that if people are struggling with this understanding, with, this, with the reality of the rapture, I pray that you would confirm in their hearts that this is the truth. And Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would help them to believe it, to build their lives on it. And Lord, that they would respond in the appropriate way. And I pray, God, that you would draw us to yourself. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that they would come and receive you today. If, there's, if there are people here who, who may have claimed with their mouths that they're believers, but their lives never backed that up, their hearts really never entered a relationship with you, God, I pray that today is the day that they surrender themselves wholly and completely to you. Change them. Transform them, Lord. And God, I just pray for all of us we'd reconfirm our commitment to serving you and following you into eternity. And Lord, that you would encourage those who are weary and tired, those who have, who have been bearing a heavy load, I pray that you would encourage us with these words today, that you're coming back to get us and to take us home. Lord, for every other person who's struggling with, with anything else in their lives that may need to come and pray today, I just pray that you draw them to this altar that you would meet them here, that you would meet their needs, God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.